We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello and welcome to the Esports Biz Show. I'm your host, Justin Jacobson. This week we'll be discussing esports events. Just as a disclaimer, nothing here is intended as legal advice, as all of the information is for educational purposes only. This week's guest is Tanner Stark. Tanner is the head of player management for Faceit's Rainbow Six FPL online events. Previously, Tanner was the founder and CEO of Disrupt Gaming, a professional esports organization. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Jacob. Thanks for having me. So to briefly introduce it, you know, Justin and yourself are exploring the esports events. So esports events include leagues and tournaments that are you know, operated by various companies, including ESL, DreamHack, MLG, Blast, and Faceit. Some of these events are in-person LAN events, and some are solely online play, and others are a combination of both. These kind of companies handle all the logistics for the events, such as creating the rules, obtaining the licenses from the game developer, if the, they aren't the organizer, handling logistics for the in-person competitors, such as travel and flight and hotel and lodging and accommodations. And if the event is not a bring-your-own-equipment type, they may provide the hardware and gaming peripherals for the, com- for the competitors to use. They also may handle hiring the television and streamers for the casts. So they handle all the on-air talent, such as the sign-light announcers, and handle the event marketing and promotions to get the word out to the public. So these entities earn money in a variety of ways, from entrance fees and ticket sales, merchandise sales, such as you know, t-shirts, hats, jerseys, socks, you know, anything with their logo, television and streaming broadcast license fees. This could be both internationally and domestically, and then advertising revenue during any live streams and on recorded content, and then sponsorship and brand partnerships. So now we know a bit more about esports events. Tell us about your past esports experience. What was the first game you played? First game I played was Call of Duty 2, I would say, is like my earliest memory of playing like a game on like a console. Of course, you know, I've played on like the old Game Boys and everything like that. But like the first game I actually remember like getting really heavily into would probably be Call of Duty 2. Okay, so how'd you kind of get into the professional gaming world? Um, So my my story kind of starts as, you know, I, I played a lot of sports in real life and I'm playing these video games. I'm having fun. And back in Modern Warfare 3, I joined this, you know, clans were very big back then. And I joined this one clan that had, you know, its own website or something like that. It was so cool. Um, And I'm just a kid at the time. And I see that. I'm like, this is amazing. You know, join this clan of pub stompers or anything like that. Um, And then it kind of progressed to to Call of Duty Ghosts, where I first started competing uh, in esports, started doing tournaments on MLG, UMG, uh, wagers, and then fast forward to Advanced Warfare, 
get picked up by different organizations, um, go to LAN events, uh, compete, uh, hang out with different pros and, you know, uh, kind of growing within the scene. Um, but around that time, I kind of stopped uh, playing competitive. Uh, I just needed a little bit of a break and it got to a point where I'm like advanced warfare. I'm kind of just done with it. So in the meantime, I was like, well, I'm going to go f- find some work in esports org. So later on, when I do come back and compete, you know, next call of duty was my original thought, you know, I'll have some org experience. So I know what they're thinking about. So I could try and get more money, you know, as a player, cause you know, we all want more money, you know, at the end of the day and better situate ourselves. So that was kind of my idea behind it. Didn't really turn out that way because when I went to come back, it was black ops three, the very next game. And it was 18 plus and I wasn't 18 yet. So I just stuck with what I was doing with working with different esports orgs. And that's kind of the okay, start so, of it. Okay, so tell us a little about your past experience with Disrupt Gaming. You know, what do you do there and kind of how that all happened? Yeah, so I was 17 at the time. Um, and I was contracted as a CEO of a different organization. Um, they were paying me um, monthly to, you know, run their org and build the org. And I didn't have any stake in it. And I said, well, why am I putting this work in to build an organization if I'm not? you know, the one that's benefiting at the end of the day, if it sells or anything like that. So what I did was, is I found some investors and I was like, Hey, this is, you know, the esports scene. This is where there's niche markets. This is where we could go in and try to do these different things. So I got investors and I founded disrupt gaming. Um, and I founded it was the CEO of it, um, for a year. And then, uh, you know, we went to different LAN events. We had top teams. We had a whole bunch of talent, a um, whole bunch of YouTubers and streamers that we, you know, sold different sponsors and such. And then, you know, towards the end of my time, I couldn't do it because uh, my father actually has multiple sclerosis. Um, so I had to take care of him. Uh, I just fractured uh, my patellar tendon um, in my knee. And not fractured, sorry, I tore. Uh, and then I, you know, was finishing high school. So I had those three things just hit me at once. Um, and I knew I couldn't fulfill my duties as CEO and build this brand that continue building this brand that I love that I started from the beginning. So I just got out, you know, sold, got out. Um, cause I thought that was what was best. And, you know, that was it for disrupt gaming. Okay, so what was when operating a team? How do you select what players you sign? You know, which titles to enter? Yeah, so for anyone, you know, when you're entering esports as an organization, you know, the factors you look at. So, you know, we've had Pro Gears of War teams at Disrupt. We had um, Rainbow Six Siege teams. Uh, we've had Call of Duty rosters. So, you know, the biggest thing that orgs do is they a they try to get in too many titles at once. Um, you know, we dabbled in a couple of titles, but primarily the game that we're in was rainbow six. And I encourage anyone that works for an esports org that is smaller and growing um, to become a huge esports org is to focus entirely on one game and one market. And the one thing that we looked at and why I chose rainbow six was because it was a market that was growing year after year. And there wasn't a huge organizations in there at the time that were doing content. And there, so with that being said, there was a lot of huge content creators that were just unsigned. So I was like, okay, well, let's get in here. And knowing the scene a little bit, I knew that, you know, there's a lot of clicks within the scene. And so the first team we signed, uh, we passed up a pro league team uh, for this challenge league team because their clicks and their friends were, you know, their other top content creators. Plus someone on the team was a big YouTuber at the time as well. Um, So we chose that team. So we had content creation and then we could get access to his friends to also sign, you know, sign later on as well. Um, So we could be a main content driven org so that we actually have more value, you know, to different companies and sponsors rather than just have teams. Because if you just have teams then you're just focusing and relying on winning, which isn't always going to happen. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think that's important to kind of diversify and understand that if you sign five different teams in five different games to try to service all those communities and try to understand what will work and how you're going to do the best and getting the right talent, you just can't always do it. Whereas if you focus on maybe one or two and you maximize it and select the right people, you can really just disrupt and take over that area. Yeah, exactly. And in and, and the future, the more they grow, um, the more you're able to expand. I mean, I know Disrupt now, um, you know, in the last, you know, six months that now they have an NAL spot and a um, semi-franchised league with Ubisoft, you know, and they're paying their team nicely. They have Team House and they're able to do that. And it all stimulated and grew from just starting within this game and growing. And now they have the capital and able to go in many different games as well, if they so pleased. So, I mean, that, that is where a lot of orgs kind of mess up is because they'll get, you know, it's easy to get a lot of money early on, but you know, everyone, when they start getting money as orgs is they're like expand, expand, expand. When reality is like, make sure that the foundation is firmly built and then gradually expand. You know, we were at a point where, we didn't start getting our first uh, sponsorships till five months in. You know, we had a lot of um, numbers and, you know, people underneath our org that, you know, we should have got paid a little bit sooner, but we didn't because the esports scene at the time, there was a lot of orgs that were scamming out there like ERA, uh, Most Wanted. So sponsors will have broken up and hurt from different experiences. So it took a little bit of time and they wanted to see that, you know, you'll stick around. You know, we're not just going to throw money at you in order, and then you're just not there in three months. You know, that looks bad. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For the sponsor. So once we got our first thing, uh, I think it was within six months, like the fifth month and six months, we got sponsors and we were actually making more than we were outputting. So, you know, we we're profiting business within six months, which is very good, um, especially within esports. And we kept that all the way through um, until I left. Um, now, I don't know the financials after that, but I know until, you know, after I, until I left, you know, we were making, you know, we we're profiting month after month, which is very good um, in esports specifically because a lot of organizations, the revenue is a lot, but then they, but they're losing money each month um, because their expenses are so high. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, yeah, so let's kind of like flesh that a little bit. So what are some kind of, you know, typical issues encounter when operating a team? You know, maybe some pitfalls to look out for. Yeah, so, I mean, one thing is just know that every day something will go wrong. Um, it was kind of a joke, like, what's going to go wrong today? Because in esports, there's something that always happens every day. I mean, th there's things that happen that I would not even imagine that could happen. And so just have to prepare that everything's not going to be perfect. You have to take every situation with what it is um, and take it one step at a time and kind of think about the long term. 
And you want to also make sure that, you know, how can we, your goal should be, how can we stick around the longest, not how can we make so much money early on? And that's a huge problem that we not only see in esports, but we see that in regular business too, where companies, you know, they drastically have higher overhead and their revenue is just not cutting. They're just putting all their eggs in one basket, trying to maximize, you know, their income and just hope it works out. And then you see them out of business. It's just like that in esports too, where you want to see, okay, this is, this is how much money we have. Let's pretend that we don't make a single cent for the next six months. Do we, are we still a company? Okay, cool. With these expenses. Okay. Let's try it a year now. So you want to roadmap it like that. So you're able to actually be around longer because the longer you're around in esports, the more opportunity you will have with different sponsors and be able to make more money because you're building that credibility up, um, which is a huge thing within esports that is not really talked about that much. Absolutely. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I think, you know, especially if you're a brand that's trying to get behind an organization and put money and product and be a part of them, you want to make sure six months, a year from now, two years from now, they're actually there. So you can really get the return on your value and you could be associated with the brand and the people on them. And that is a value to you. Otherwise you're just paying for nothing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, a lot of these, you know, like scuff, for example, like how many teams have scuff probably, you know, sponsored. Okay. Now how many of those were still around six months after they started getting sponsored? or still operating at the same rate. I mean, there's probably a huge drop-off rate, in all honesty. I don't know the exact numbers on it, but I would assume, based off of esports, there's probably a huge drop-off. And right now in esports, you're seeing a transition happen where it goes from a whole bunch of random orgs having teams to you're having certain, you know, a lot smaller base of orgs having teams now because you're having these, you know, million-dollar investments come in, multi-million over a hundred million investments come in and start legitimizing esports. Also, the business aspect of these orgs. Exactly, you you start actually having people that operate it like a business. You know, I made a note of this earlier, where as you start seeing a lot of these traditional franchise and entertainment owners coming in, they're starting to operate these organizations like they do their sports team. They have separate departments for sponsorship and brand partnerships and dealing with talent and social media and digital marketing and all of these typical brands that you see for the Bulls or the Knicks or any professional team. They're starting to implement and. I think that that's just something that is an org that doesn't have that kind of money or resources you really can't do. There's only so many people that are willing to be a social media manager and do all the stuff that's needed and make all the imagery and do all the posts for just credit as being part of it. It's definitely hard to do and especially for the months it takes to really get it all generating, it's just not that feasible. Yeah, exactly. Also, you know, if you're working in esports, you're not just wearing, you know, one hat. You're working, you're wearing multiple hats doing several different things within the esports org if you want it to be successful. I mean, you, I mean, in an ideal world, sure, one day, you know, you're only working on sales, right? And then you're only working on partnerships and these different aspects. But right now, esports isn't fully there. So on the organization side, you're you're gonna have to be able to help out and do several different things within that organization to be able to make it succeed. Um, and we we see it a lot. I mean, there's so many orgs that I've seen that are huge notable orgs, and then they tweet out, "We're leaving the scene," and you know they're shutting down their doors. And everyone's like, "Why? How did this happen?" Then then you look at you know their history, and you're like, "Okay, well they have a team house." You know, they're the highest paid team in the market and, you know, they're just having all this money go out and they're not having to close back. Yeah. And they didn't win. I mean, the biggest thing we see in esports right now that is an issue I see is uh, prices are getting inflated within different scenes and it actually kills the market sometimes. I know Space Station went in and this isn't Space Station's fault. But Space Station went into this one game. I can't recall what it is. And they were the only big org in there. And they paid their team. The average salary was 250 player. They paid their team 2,000 each. Okay? For the best team. They won everything, but no other orgs got in. Because the the viewership wasn't even there. I think the viewership was like 500 to 1,500 for the finals. So the viewership there, the money's not there. But 
that price was so inflated that no other ore got in because it's not worth it to get in. So then yeah, you man. start running into those issues where you have scenes dying because of it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's you know a really good point and something that sometimes people don't understand, especially as you're coming into the scene, that these things are cyclical. A game that's hot now, six months from now, might not exist. You know, they're already talking about the new Call of Duty that's coming out, and a new one just came out, and it's just kind of like there's a lot going on and a lot is changing. And if an organization isn't able to be a bit more agile and not just be in one box where it's like, this is what we do, I think that it gives you a bit more longevity and the ability to kind of change with the tides. Yeah. I mean, something you're saying too, any sports from the player side is if you, I don't know if you've been following counter-strike at all, but a lot of, you know, a lot of pros and tier two players over there have switched to Valorant. Um, mostly in the NA region and a lot of the top pros in the NA region actually went to EU to play now. So now the EU region is pretty strong over there, but the NA region is not really that strong. And reason is a lot of them are in Valorant and now Valorant starting out, they're making as much as they would make in CSGO and Valorant hasn't even had, you know, their first land event yet, you know, or they don't have a formatted league, but then you have all these top wars in there and they're getting paid as much because and these pros are just changing game to game. They're able to, which is a is good for the scene in some ways, but B, you know, it's kind of bad for the scene. And, you know, I, I don't think that t- people should be able to switch like that loosey goosey and be able to get paid exactly the same as an established game right off the rip. Personally, I think that kind of hurts the scene long term. And so, I mean, ways. I think that's the negotiation power and maybe some of the, People, I'm not, you know, we're not going to throw any names under this, but sometimes when you're able to create the market, because there isn't really a known market, it's not like players, things are really known. You know, if you look at these other traditional worlds, you know what deal LeBron just signed, you know what deal all these NFL players, you know, like it's all public knowledge. You understand it. Maybe you don't know the super, super specifics of it, but you know that LeBron is 25 mil against a salary cap, and you know he has a $50 million signing bonus. You know, you know all this stuff. Yeah. Whereas, other than Cloud Nine and maybe a few super outliers, it's not really known. So, you just have the people that are kind of controlling this, whether it's the town or the teams, just trying to keep up with the Joneses. You know, you if everyone is going to Valorant because there's great publisher support, there's high viewership, the mechanics are very similar. And, you know, you have Valve, a publisher that's maybe not providing the same kind of support and kind of infrastructure. It makes sense from a business perspective for you to pivot and to try to be successful in something that might have just as much longevity, if not longer. And the fact is that's a business decision. And these teams that are making these decisions are maybe looking at it from, okay, well, he's really good in this game and he has good numbers. So, like, he should be good here too. So I, I think it's a lot of the people that are involved in these deals and situations, knowing that they could pull different things maybe, or just understanding that they're kind of dictating the market. And a lot of teams probably aren't talking with each other. And a lot of the people that are handling these deals and players maybe aren't talking with each other, especially as you're negotiating it. Like you want to kind of not talk about these things. So it's not that known. Yeah, and honestly, like you said, I think there should be more communication and have it be more public because I think it legitimizes esports more too. I mean, one thing that I would like to see, it it happens, um, but it doesn't happen in every esports title like it should, is players should get paid individually, not as not everyone on the team gets paid a, a certain amount, like the same amount. Everyone on the team should get paid differently, in my opinion, because you have different people on the team that, bring them more value to the team, you know, with their YouTube and their Twitch and all that versus some players on the team. They just, they get paid exactly the same as this guy that has a million subs on YouTube. And this guy has zero subs on YouTube and he doesn't do anything on social, but he gets paid exactly the same. Like how, how is that fair for the other guy? You know, it's not. And I, I mean, think, that's the- and I think, well, one, one last thing for it is I think what it does is it makes it where these pro players are not building their own brands. Cause they don't have a, you know, there's no benefit to building their own brand in their eyes. Absolutely. I mean, I think a point of that is the people that are dictating these things work. You know, I know I've done deals and 
the players are getting a little bit different, especially in these franchise leagues. It's a little bit more based on them and what they're about. And, you know, I'm sure the deal that some of these top players, then some of the support roles are different because they have this added value. So I think it also kind of comes with the people negotiating on both sides of it, maybe being more willing to be like, okay, well, it's easier just to pay everyone equal than to be like, okay, we're paying this kid more, so that means he's the star and he's in charge. And, you know, you kind of create these undertones that might not necessarily need to be there. But I also do think that, you know, from a talent side, especially which is the area I work from a lot, these are tangibles. These are value that you bring and you should be compensated for it. So maybe it's almost the top players not being a bit more aggressive being like, Oh, well I'm so much more valuable than these dudes. Like you guys got to pay me double or at least a little bit more. And you know, maybe that's the team dynamic. Maybe that's a confidence thing. Maybe that's not having the right professionals and team and advisors around them to be like, okay, well you clearly have, extra value that these other guys don't have. So if you're not going to ask for it, why is a team going to pay you more? You know, I think you can also see it from that side of the coin is if you're okay with getting just as much as the support when you're the superstar, then why are we just going to offer you more? Exactly. I mean, at the end of the day, as a business and these orgs, you know, the other way they have to, most likely they're outputting more money than they would normally. But, you know, so of course they prefer it, you know, everyone get paid the same because then you get a top talent undervalued, you know, you get them way less. So I know from the org side, I'm sure they want to do that, but I think, you know, as esports goes on, we're going to need that to help legitimize the scene um, as a whole. Um, because it, the crazy thing about esports is if you look at esports compared to, you know, esports gaming revenue compared to all of gaming revenue, it's a drop in the pond and it's not even close yet. And, you know, we need to help close that gap because it, realistically everyone loves, you know, competing, you know, it's human nature to compete and beat, you know, other people in games or whatever, whatever right? it is. Yeah. People love to do that. Um, so esports should be one of those easy things. I mean, if we're having a game like, I, I want okay. I saw something on Twitter the other day that shows the old Black Ops Two screen. It showed how many people were online. Right, there was like a million people online. Right, out of those million people, how many think actually watched Black Ops Two esports? Probably not a lot. You know, probably a small fraction. And that, and I think that's where the issue is because these people, I think, a they're probably not exposed to it, or b there's a stereotype attached to esports. Where they are like, well, these guys are just playing video games competitively and they don't actually fully understand it. I think it's kind of, you know, we need to transition and kind of close that gap so that esports could actually, you know, everyone always mentions esports in a bubble is, you know, break that bubble and see what happens outside of it. Absolutely. I, mean, I think that definitely incorporating kind of more the middle and the more casual person, not like the hyper, super engaged fan who, you know, live eats, breathes, and sleeps this kind of competition, especially watching it, there'll be ways to engage. And I think that's kind of where some of these content creators kind of fit the bill and kind of act as a bridge and a middle ground for the more casual, you know, observer. Yeah, and I think uh, game developers, because I think this is on them, um, I guess tournament organizers could do this too somewhat, but I think it's more on the game developers to pay these content creators to do somewhat competitive things and promote competitive tournaments because reality is like these content creators that, you know, within a game, you know, there, I'm sure there's still pub stopping, you know, YouTubers out there in call of duty. And I'm sure, you know, some of the fans that watch that have no idea about the COD world league. Right. So I, I think it's on the game developer, you know, Activision be like, Hey, I want you to promote the COD World League and talk a little bit more about it and, and show your audience. Because like those people, they're, they're casual, but they like still competing, right? Because a game like Call of Duty, like the information, the news, they like the pub stopping, it's still competing in somewhat. Um, so I think it's on the, the game developer mostly to kind of bridge the gap and help do that. And I think that will result in more revenue for them as well. Absolutely, exactly. Figuring out ways to engage with the other, the other fraction, the the much larger piece of the pie that maybe isn't in the know and doesn't really know. Oh, cool. Well, this other superstar gamer who's just as good and does other amazing things, who you might like 
and there's this whole other world around him too. Yeah, and I think that we'll start seeing that. Also, to tie in a little bit about like what you do a bit is having these teams and content creators, like whether you're a player or you know an entertainer, is go to an attorney or a agent and have them help you negotiate a contract because we're you need one. I mean, I don't think anyone's really like unless you're you have a law license. I don't think that you should be trying to do these things alone because I don't think anyone's really well versed and understands fully to make sure that they're covered within gaming and a lot of orgs you know I, some of the contracts I've seen in my time from trying to help friends out uh, like these contracts aren't even they won't even legally hold in court hmm. you know so like I'm like you know you, you're just wasting your time here like you better reach out to Justin and I think that's one of the biggest thing I've you know noticed and been championing since I've really kind of made my mark and trying to get in here is you have to understand you got to learn the long-term ramifications of what you're signing and that if you don't have it in paper and it's not protecting you and understanding you then you're doing yourself a disservice and you know whatever it costs now i'm sure if you're successful it's going to cost you way more and i'm not building in escalators or other ways to increase your value and grow will just be a disservice and will hamper you and you know, I think that that's just kind of a lesson I think more and more people are going to learn. And as the whole entire industry matures and gets more professional, hopefully that's the thing that goes with it, that people understand the severity of what's going on and approach it like a real competent business person because it's the esports business for a reason. And it's the esports biz show because that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> and. An example that we could show um, is Ninja. I mean, how long was Ninja under Luminosity when he was like at his highest point? And it's because he was in a contract with them still. I'm pretty sure he was getting grossly underpaid for the value that he was bringing to Luminosity at that time. So, and that's something where it's like Ninja probably wasn't protected the best he should have been. I mean, A, he kind of predicted him blowing up like he did. But maybe if he had couple clauses or different things within the contract he had been able to get out or at least renegotiate if he had to stay in and you know get more money for what he was doing for luminosity because he was promoting them a bit had their stream up everyone saw luminosity with and that's when ninja you know played with drake you know he was under luminosity so that's you know when ninja was the biggest Exactly. I mean, I think that's the biggest lesson I think people learn. And, you know, when anyone asks me, like, why should you have an attorney for that exact reason? Because you might not even have thought about the possibility of you being really successful. Like, it's a weird feeling to think about or even plan for. But sometimes you have to plan for success just in case. And, you know, sometimes it happens. And if you didn't plan for it, like you said, you might be in a situation where, wow, I could have gotten double the salary once I hit this many followers. And, you know, I think some teams are starting to understand that. And some of the more recent deals, some of these teams are building in escalators and looking at your current social media numbers and giving you incentives that if you grow it like 10% or 20% and keep it going over month over month, you'll increase your salary. And I think smart people are understanding that you got to ask for it because why would a team offer you this added value and incentives if you're not interested in it? Yeah, I mean, exactly. And we're seeing that a lot within esports where people don't realize that, you know, stardom comes overnight in esports, basically. I mean, Mr. Beast is making stars. Other people are. I mean, you could be streaming on Twitch and somebody could host you with 20,000 viewers. There you go. You're If you're entertaining and you grab them early on, you know, within the first, you know, couple minutes, you, you yourself, you're a full-time Twitch streamer now making good money. That, that's all it takes within esports now. I mean, people's lives could be changed in an instant and you just grow from there. Absolutely. I mean, you know, our guest that we had recently skeptic, it was, you know, he was playing and then one time he randomly was put in, you know, a random public game with Tifu, ends up killing Tifu, and his clip goes viral, you know, 10 million views and get to knock on the door from all these teams and, you know, off and running. And, you know, that's just kind of one of these stories where a lot of these things happen. You know, Booga, you win this one championship and, you know, you're off and running and kind of really hitting all of these top level deals and 
really setting yourself apart. So it's really just kind of happens quickly and overnight. And, you know, I think that's what's really exciting about it, but also something that you need to understand and be ready for. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, him for an example, too, is everyone was like, the big thing was like, wow, this kid is like, he was like 16 at the time and he won this much money in a Fortnite tournament. Well, I can guarantee you he's made so much more out of winning that money from sponsorships like since then it, i mean because like that it's just crazy like that and people need to realize too is like esports the tournament prize is nice but like if if you build your own brand and you use that opportunity like the because everyone that if you're on a top team and you're winning tournaments in a you know a tier one tier two e, uh, esport uh you know eyes are on you it is on you to capitalize and grow your own individual platform because that's where you're going to make the most money absolutely and that's kind of you know where understanding the bigger business and that you have to approach it like a business so you know what we're going to kind of shift a little bit so tell us a little about face it you know what is it and what do you do there and what are you guys currently working on so i was uh so face it uh has a product called fpl called face it pro league it um it's within dota and counter-strike i would say csgo is where it's most successful and most known for um so it's where all the top pros play up and coming talent comes and plays within it as well um there's fpl challenger there's matchmaking and you work your way up and you get to the top which is fpl um fpl at one point within counter-strike was had a price pool of fifty thousand dollars a month uh which is insane you know for you know a monthly q thing you know players were making six figures a year just playing fpl you know matchmaking which is basically you know you have top talent and they all hit play they get thrown into a lobby you have two captains they pick their teams and then you play a match um so fpl started within counter-strike um and it worked its way to rainbow six so i uh after i was done i with with disrupt i went to college i never really thought that i'd get back into esports right so i i wasn't really planning on it but i play rainbow six because it's a fun game and i still know a lot of people within the community and i saw that face it you know you know it's now partners with rainbow with ubisoft for rainbow six and esl is gone and so then they start launching their products so first they started off with launching fpl uh in europe um, and I thought that was really cool. And all the NA players, you know, were hyped. They were waiting for it. They waited for three months. Um, and I contacted Face and I was like, how can I make this happen? How can I launch this sooner? What can I do? You know, so then I got hired there. And I was just managing uh, NA um, FPL. So we launch it. I manage it. We have a very huge, successful season. We blew EU's numbers out of the park. Um, and then the next season we're also su- very successful and then I get uh, given EU FPL as well so then I'm just running all of Rainbow Six FPL and then we destroy our numbers uh, for the following season and it just keeps growing um, then with that we created FPL uh, C which is FPL Challenger for the other up and coming players and star players that can work their way up to FPL and become known. And also we've seen that. I mean, I just recently did a, uh, a chart to look at stream numbers for people not, you know, streaming FPL, like streaming, like ranked within the game versus streaming FPL and their numbers, their viewership goes about 90%, their average viewership, which is huge, 90%. And we've seen guys that were averaging three viewers that are now averaging like 60 viewers in a matter of week, like oh, a single week. And they ha- went from having zero paid subscribers on Twitch to over 120 paid subscribers in a week, which is like huge growth out of nowhere for just playing FPL. Um, so now I'm running the Rainbow Six FPL, um, and soon I'm going to be running, uh, not running, but I'm going to be help working on FPL as a whole outside of Rainbow Six as well. Um, but Face It is really community driven. That's what I really like about them. Like I said, I wasn't really playing that game back in esports at all, but face it their company values and what they see like community first and all that is something that really resonates with me and part of the reason why i'm really happy to be working here 
Okay, yeah. So let's. I'm going to ask a little bit about this. So it's like you just have pros and you all randomly get paired up with each other. And it's just kind of like an all-star fun game and you're just competing for money. Is it? Is that yeah. just kind of the premise? Yeah, that's basically it. And you have upcoming players like in CSGO. Um, some of the top pros that are now top pros in Counter-Strike today were unknown and they came from uh, FPL. You know, that's where they got their break. And we're kind of seeing that within Rainbow Six as well, specifically uh, with players that, you know, were unknown. And now they're getting pro league tryouts, challenger league tryouts, and they're making on these top teams because they're getting noticed within FPL. So it's a place to play with the pros and improve. But it's also a place where up and coming talent that no one knows about can get known and grow a name for themselves. Awesome. I think that's really, you know, huge, especially in, you know, today's industry where the path to pro is just so scattered. It's not like every other talent world where it's like, okay, well, you go to this and you do this. And then from this perspective, this is the kind of the path. Whereas with esports, it's 20 different ways for you to kind of get into the scene. And, you know, having something like this that provides another way, I think is essential. Yeah, and that's something that I really like about this is we're making accessible. And I recently worked uh, with Kickstar, who Justin knows, um, to uh, revitalize and make R6 TM a little bit bigger. Um, and with that, uh, you know, that is now part of the FPL ecosystem. It's so an independent company that's on Facebook platform, but it's as part of the FPL ecosystem where. You know, you play that, you grind out, you get top five, then you qualify for FPL Challenger. And, you know, you have this direct path to getting known and people knowing your name and versus, like Justin said, where you, you it's all scattered. Like, what do I do? How do I improve? How do I get noticed by these different pro teams? How do I get these offers? So now we're trying to kind of, you know, close that gap and make it where, okay, I know I played this R6GM Open. Okay, now I do FPLC. Okay, now I'm in FPL. Okay, I'm starting to get noticed a little bit. I'm growing on different teams. Okay, now I have a Challenger League offer. And it's kind of more structured versus everywhere. Absolutely. I, absolutely. I mean, I think that that's really what's kind of missing. And I think a lot of the organizations would benefit from that, having like, a, okay, well, this is the top talent. We have all this analytics. We get to see them playing against other top talent. And we get to really kind of see them under this microscope playing against the other best or the people that are competing to be the best and people that are signed to teams, are they still allowed to compete in it or like, how does yeah. that work? Yeah. Any, anyone's allowed to compete in it. Um, you know, funny enough, this one uh, person, his name's achieved. He just won a land event. Right. And that night after he won the land event, he started queuing FPL that night and playing it. So, you know, it, they love it, you know, and, these players love it because it's more of a competitive atmosphere than just casual matchmaking on the game where they could play with other top talent and they know that they'll get more viewers doing it because everyone loves watching competitive play. And then you're seeing your favorite personalities all playing this together. And I know the orgs love it too. Cause then, you know, they're benefiting because you know, if you're an org and your brands on this person's stream and they're getting more viewers, it's a plus plus for them. Absolutely. I think that just really kind of, you know, connects all the dots a lot and something that I'm sure more teams and more players are going to start embracing and understanding, especially in these titles. Yeah. Also, like I feel like what face is trying to do is that's like I said, they're very community driven. So then you see programs like Collegiate where we have Collegiate and Counter-Strike, Valorant, Rainbow Six, where these kids are able to go to college and grow competitively as well by doing these collegiate leagues and actually win money, you know, because there's prize pools for these collegiate leagues. So that is somewhere else where I think it's amazing what face is doing because these kids are able to go to college to complete, uh, sorry, compete um, and make money and they're getting scholarships too. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's kind of, you know, the new frontier and being able to kind of diversify, you know, the offering of you have the professional scene and you also have kids that want to kind of go the more college academic route and they could still kind of get the exposure and the practice. And who knows if you start doing well on these challenger and kind of move up the ladder, as they say, you might get signed to a pro team right out of college. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I've seen some talents uh, in Rainbow Six for a collegiate that 
in my opinion, could be in Challenger League right now. But they're so you know they want to get their education, they want to finish it. They're on scholarship right now to play. So I know after they're done, who knows? Maybe they have a pro league offer waiting for them. So then they're able to get you know their degree. They're able to make money, you know, because there's not the NCAA, uh, and also they're able to follow their dreams. And if they want to be a pro player, be a pro player after, and still reap all the benefits. Awesome. Yeah. So I think that really kind of starts opening up the ecosystem a little bit more. So what are some differences that you kind of notice between you know, maybe operating an online tournament versus, you know, an in-person one? Um, so I, I don't do a lot of the operating of the tournament. You know, FACE is a, a tournament organizer. They're a TO. Um, but an online one, I, I think it's a little bit different because, um, you know, COVID right now, most people are doing online tournaments, right? Because they're just not capable to have fans and have all this production there and you know, have all these teams in person because COVID, you know, but online, you, you know, you miss out on key things. And really I, I found out from viewership wise that a lot of fans don't like watching online tournaments. You know, even if it's the same price pool, fans just don't get the same excitement as they would for a land event because in a land event is it's a different game. You know, you don't have, you know, connectivity issues, input lag, you know, different things that you'll be dealing with you know, versus, you know, for online versus a land tournament where land tournament is like, I point and shoot, it, you know, it happens right, right. When I move my hand and click that button to shoot, it shoots, you know, there isn't like a little millisecond delay, which could, you know, cause you to die. So it's more competitive. The fans are more into it. The players are more into it. And I think that's the biggest difference, but it's very hard right now to do that. And I know, uh, you know, we've, we've done a few land events, um, during COVID where, you know, players have their own stations where, you know, this team, you know, and a lot else is allowed in there about this team and, you know, they're allowed to play in this section, but it's a lot smaller, right? Instead of having like eight, 16 team lands, you're having four, four teams, you know, so it's safe and they all have their own individual thing. I know Siege um, had, you know, their biggest uh, tournament of the year was, is called the Six Invitational, uh, which is a $3 million tournament. It was actually supposed to be in Paris next week, um, but it was canceled because of COVID. Um, the recent lockdown it wasn't canceled; it was uh, suspended and postponed to a later date. But that's twenty teams from all across the world at a land event, which I'm pretty sure a lot of people would love to watch, especially because they're competing for three million dollars. But it, it kind of sucks that that type of stuff isn't fully able to occur right now because of COVID. Okay, that makes sense. I think that, you know, the fan wants this purest form of it and wants everyone on the even playing field. And, you know, how these kids go on Twitter and complain about this and that and all the time. So, you know, you want them to not have anything to complain about. Like, there's no ping. They're sitting right there. You know, if you can't handle on the stage live, that's your problem. Yeah, my favorite thing about LAN is, I don't know if you watched old Call of Duty LANs, you know, back in... Call of Duty Ghost, Advanced Warfare, Black Ops 2 era around that time. I think that was kind of the pinnacle of uh, esports lands. I mean, as a whole, in my opinion, because, you know, you had players talking trash on stage to each other, you know, yelling at each other. You had these huge names emerging. You have Scumpy. You had Nade Shot. You had Crim6. You had J-Cap. You had aches like you had all these different names you had these different storylines you had these players that said they hated each other and it was just like impactful and everyone was a part of it it was like watching a drama you know on television but in real life um and and now as esports kind of matures that that type of stuff isn't really happening you know you're having the the cod world league or the call of duty league i think it's cdl now the call of duty league is actually like suing not suing but they're finding players for saying certain stuff on social media or, you know, and anything like that. So that type of stuff isn't really happening. I think you kind of lose storylines a bit, but it also kind of professionalizes a bit more. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's the thing. It's legitimizes it. And now you have these huge Fortune 500 companies, you know, Starburst and Sour Patch Kids and 
Audi and Mercedes Benz and Geico and you know State Farm and all these mega companies representing your organization in your league. So now you have to be way more cognizant and aware of what you're saying and how you say it and what you're saying on social media and you know what you're talking about then it just wasn't the same world. You weren't seeing 40, 50 million dollars. You weren't seeing all of these huge investments and viewership numbers then. It's all just grown to another level. And as it grows, the professionalism has to follow. Yeah. Also, you're seeing people that go to college and then they come out college and they use their degree for getting into esports, whether it be on the developer side, organization side, or like uh, esports work side, or like tournament organizer side, right? So, like, they're using these degrees and everything like that to enter these different fields. Like, I know Faceit has, you know, investment bankers, like, you know, previous investment bankers and all that, that are working for the company now, like you're having a lot more legitimate people enter in the industry and run it and help shape it. And then you're having, you know, having it all clash where people are going to college for an accounting degree. And I know this one guy who is, and what he wants to use that accounting degree in esports once he graduates, which is, you know, unheard of five years ago. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the biggest thing. And, you know, someone who's an attorney who kind of filed similar suit, it's what's happening. And, you know, I think, you know, another focus that we can look at is, you know, how technology and just, you know, larger audiences and kind of the future of tournaments. Like, how is this all going to change? I think in the future, we're going to see a lot more, you know, technology come more into play. Um, but I, I don't fully know how. Like, it, there's the possibilities are endless right of what we can do um you know maybe you know hex just you know uh optic hex um the owner of uh, optic if you guys are unaware he uh started a podcast but it's not even really a podcast it's a tv show that launched the other day um you know full production you know they have uh cameras that are just like on you know talk shows like they have the full works so I think we I think we're gonna start kind of seeing more of that, um, but also see that more on in, in actual tournaments and whatever can happen. Like who knows what happens? Maybe we're having esports in fifteen years. It's virtual reality. You know, people are playing in a virtual reality versus one another. Who really knows what could happen within esports? And it's just it's fascinating. I think we, you know, people just want to jump on for the ride and see what happens and be part of it. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you're mentioning about Venn. They have, you know, fully functioning production TV studios. And, you know, I think as you're seeing with these broadcasts, as they're going to television and being just more mainstream, you are having this full production team and makeup and hair and these on-air casters that are really treated the same way you would a sports commentator on the M the NBA or the NFL. So, you know, I think as you elevate the production value of the events, you're going to have these things you're talking about, AR, like – I always talk to someone who mentioned, you know, you'll be able to add sound effects and visuals to like the whole arena will, you know, red out and shake when a bomb goes off or someone gets killed. And, you know, as you mentioned, AI being able to be in a different person's point of view and go around the map as them and then switch to the other guy and see their visual and just kind of start giving a new point of views and new viewer experiences. Yeah, the possibilities are endless. I mean – we're getting so advanced in technology and different sections that it's like wonder what's going to happen. I mean, people's computers now are insane as well that they play on um, for, you know, these pros they're playing on insane 30, 30, eighties uh, and 30, 90, like, you know, just crazy stuff that's happening in the computer and they're getting like 400, 500 frames in this game. And it's like, you don't really need that, but it's like, it's just keep advancing. Like they just came out with a 360 Hertz monitor. Like, I don't even think we could actually visually see a difference between 240 and 360, but they came out with it. So, like, I, I don't know. Like, it just keeps advancing year after year. Okay. So, you know, what's some advice you have for anyone that's, you know, kind of trying to get into the esports business? Um, You know, advice, I would say do what you're good at within it. You know, if you have a certain skill that you already – are good at start with that um and start 
being able to apply that for different orgs, just messaging them, seeing, hey, could I help out with this? I'm good at this. Hey, I know this person. You know, you need to market yourself to them when you're first getting the job too. You know, because, you know, if you just send them, hey, I would like a job here, you know, can I have one? You know, this is my resume. That's not really going to, like, you know, they get so many of those. I know at Disrupt, uh, I got so many of those a day. Like, that's not really marketing yourself or helping yourself even get an interview. You need to be like, hey, I see that, you know, this is a idea that I have that could help you guys. I'm really good at this. And I know these people that kind of, that can kind of push your guys to org along if you want to get on the org side, right? And now that's what people need to do. And if you want to, you know, advice for if you're trying to compete is if you're trying to be a competitive player and esports, you need to a have a good personality because if you have an awful personality, you're not going to make it, you know, far. Uh, you need to market yourself by growing your Twitch stream or your YouTube because those extra values help the team out in the future and it'll help you get on a good team as well um, and be able to play. Also, you need to treat it like it's a job early on, even if you're not making any money where you're putting in, you know, you're eating right. Um, so you're healthy, you're putting in the right amount of hours and it's focused. You know, you don't want unfocused time because you're not improving then you want focused time where, okay, I'm doing this to improve this skill or whatever. And I think people need to be able to do that. Then lastly, if you want to get on on the develop type side, um, it's just applying. And again, it's like the esports side, you know, with that resume kind of means a little bit more for the developer side because, you know, they're looking for like a marketing manager or whatever have you. Okay. So, you know, what's your favorite part about working in the esports and gaming space? Uh, my favorite part is being able to meet so many different people. I mean, I know, Justin, you could relate with this that, you know, we're able to access and meet so many different people, whether it be huge YouTubers or top pro league players and fans that get so excited. And in reality, what I love about it all is all those, you know, those three categories and those three different types of people, they're all the same people. You know, they're all human beings at the end of the day and they're all relatable. You know, whether it's a YouTuber with 1.5 million subscribers, you know, I, I could relate to him in some way or another. And I'm sure other people can too. Um, and it's realizing that we're all just passionate about gaming and we're, you know, we're all gamers at the end of the day and we love the industry and we want it all to succeed. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's some, you know, really, you know, great points you make. And, and I kind of like to end every episode with my three questions. So, you know, what's your favorite game to watch? Um, I would have to say Rainbow Six because it's where I'm, primarily in and i've been in that uh game actually from the beta i've played it since the beta and i love it so i'd have to say rainbow six okay so what about what's your favorite game to play uh i love rainbow six to play but i've been trying to play valorant a lot more um so i i'll say i would say valorant right now just because I'm trying to learn it and i'm having a lot of fun learning it Okay, so who's your favorite video game character? You know, Mario, Luigi, Pikachu. I mean, you got to go with the OG Mario, I guess. I mean, Mar- you know, Mario is amazing. Like, I, I play uh, my Nintendo Switch all the time, whether it be Mario Kart or Super Mario Bros. And I always pick Mario in that. So I guess I got to go oh. with Mario. Okay, you know, can't argue with the classic. So, you know, thank you so much for joining us. This was, you know, very insightful. So tell everybody where they can find you. Um, so my Twitter, YouTube, Twitch, everything like that is just Sportrick. Um, and S-P-O-R-T-T-R-I-K. It's very unorthodox. Uh, but that's my name that I created when I was like in like fourth grade on the, uh when I was doing an Xbox account. So... I just stuck with it. Uh, you guys can find me there if you have any questions about gaming or anything like that. My DMs are always open as well. Okay, so thanks everybody again for tuning in and make sure to follow me on Twitter, Justin JESQ, and check Apple Podcasts for all our past episodes. Sugar Ray Leonard. Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. 
legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.